to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? The blackest dies. Oh, God. Come on! Welcome back to the Skewered Universe podcast. My name is Jeff, and we are in February. Sometimes we call this First Watch February. Leanne won't be joining me on this show, but I do have a very special guest. You know him from Scotchworthy Productions. He's been on before talking about bloody disgusting TV. You know his movies. You love them. It's our friend Tony Wash. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing great, Jeff. How you been? You know, I can't complain, man. I woke up today. I feel great. We're in a good spot, so I can't complain. Awesome. Well, it's good to talk to you. It's been a while, and uh, yeah, it's too bad Land's not on the show this time around, but uh, tell her I said hi. Send my love, as always. Definitely. Definitely will. So what's so, going on? Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, it's been a while since we last talked. I believe it was last year, and what I've been seeing, before we, before we get into the other reason you're on, because you did... We did want to talk about a movie. You've always said you want to come on and talk horror, and we've got that set up. Mm-hmm. But I've been I've been seeing that you've just been on the convention circuit recently. I think you just did uh, what was it, Days of the Dead in Atlanta? Yeah, last week. Not that long ago. How was that? Because that looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, I did uh, the Days of the Dead conventions. I've been frequenting pretty regularly um, because there's always one in Chicago. And uh, I actually think they're doing two in Chicago now every year. Yeah, one in the spring and one in the like late fall, early winter. Um, and I'm also I'm I'm friends with with Bill Philpit put who uh, runs mm-hmm. the convention, and um, he's also friends with Brad Miska from Bloody Disgusting. So mm-hmm. we we kind of partnered up uh, between the film festival that coincides with the convention and. Um, and bloody disgusting and so it's the partnership has allowed me to go and promote bloody disgusting and Screenbox at the conventions and also promote my own stuff with scotchworthy um and find new content for our show bloody bites uh by you know reviewing some of the films that the film festival screens at the convention so all in all it's just been a real win-win situation for for both parties um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, it's one thing for it to be productive, but for the icing on top to be that it's entertaining and fun is, is really just like, I couldn't ask for a better job, you know? Um, right. I'm, I'm very fortunate in the ability to go and, and talk horror all weekend. I mean, I talk so much with people that I lose my voice by Sunday. <laughs> I can understand that because just having you on here the few times, the couple of times we've had you on, 
we can go off on tangents about horror and that's what I love is you just have this knowledge, but you're so, you're just so open and receptive to talking horror that I'm sure plenty of people had long conversations with you there, which is why you're losing your voice. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one thing to, (laughs) to be promoting something that you care about, um, which obviously I do with all of my films and with bloody disgusting and Screenbox. I'm very passionate about that stuff, but at the core of it, I've been a horror fan my entire life. You know, when I was, when even before I was able to watch the movies, well, I was watching black and white horror films when I was four years old. And, and then I was reading, you know, scary stories to tell in the dark and shit like that. When I was like five and six years old, I remember buying the books from like the book fair at school, um, you know, in elementary school. And so it's like, it just, to me, it just comes naturally because it's something that has been a part of my life ever since I can remember. And, uh, and you, you just, it's difficult for me to shut up. I'm already a, 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 a frequent talker as is, but, uh, when you have me talking about something that I truly care about, um, you're not going to get me to shut up very easily. So. Right. I'm, I'm the same. My wife tells me that I frequently do not shut up enough. It's one of the reasons she told me to start a podcast because I talk too damn much. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And apparently she likes uh, that you talk a lot enough to want to be on the podcast with you sometimes. So, yeah, I guess that kind of blew yeah, up very, in her face. Very much huh? so. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Leanne. <laughs> She's going to love this because I usually send her like a preview file. So that way if she catches anything that maybe needs to be cut out, like just weird noises that maybe she'll hear that I don't. But uh, she'll hear this ahead of time and then give some feedback. So I'll let you know what she says. Sounds good. (laughs) We've said all nice things about her so she won't rip your head off. That's good. Yeah. No, no, we're we're good. We're good. (laughs) Yeah. One thing that stuck out to me was you guys had a huge turnout for Terrifier 2. Yeah. Um, in Chicago back in November, we did the first interactive screening. And I, w- I would consider that a little more of a dry run where we were kind of testing the waters to see how the audience would participate, how the audience would react, and how the volunteers who were helping us run the interactive aspect of it um, would manage the responsibility of that. And it was pretty good. I'd say in Chicago, we probably had anywhere from 100 to 125, maybe 150 people in the audience. And it was a lot of fun. And the really cool thing is that uh, selfie guy who um, he's he's in the movie when when the main character is at the party um, and he comes up to her uh, and he's like, hey, can I get a selfie with you? And she's like, sure. And he takes a picture. And he's like, fuck, yeah, girl. And he like walks away and that's like his big moment in the movie. Um, he, he was at the convention and he wanted to be a part of the screening. So he knew that Casey Hartnett, who plays the friend who gets killed in her bedroom in the movie, really, really violently, might I add. Um, he, she lives in Chicago. And so he was like, well, are you in town? And she goes, well, yeah, I am. He's like, why don't you come out tonight? to the convention she'd never done one before and so oh wow they they gave her a table so she could sit and sign autographs and she ended up doing very well had a great time mingling with fans all weekend and was at the screening saturday or friday night 
and like kind of surprise the audience by getting up after the death scene and kind of we pause the movie and she's like, hey, everybody, just want to let you know I'm okay. I got to the ER in time. They patched me up. I had some really attentive doctors and uh, my insurance is really good. And so, you know, everybody's I, I really appreciate the outpouring and support on Instagram, you know, Um and so it was it was oh, just wow. really fun and it was a great success. And, you know, we, we shot the audience with warm water from squirt guns when there was blood spraying on screen and we threw wet noodles at people and stuff. And um, <laughs> so we had a lot of fun. And, and what I did was I asked the audience when I talked to them on Saturday and Sunday, I'm like, you know, give me feedback. Hit me up on Instagram and let me know your thoughts. If you have ideas of things we can add to it or if there were things that you criticize um, the biggest thing people said is we needed a, uh, an intermission cause it's a two and a half hour movie and, um, mm-hmm. it was a drinking game too. So it's like, people were like, not only did I need to get up and piss, but I need to get up and stretch <laughs> my legs and get another beer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we, we ended up kind of polishing it a little bit. And a lot of the credit is due to Audrey and George Lane who run the film festival for days of the dead and um, Sophia, um, I believe her last name is Siegel or Spiegel. Um, she's a, a friend of mine who handles a lot of the, um, I don't really know, like just I guess like patron relations is what I would kind of attribute to her role with Days of the Dead. Um, okay. And so she, like promotion and, and that type of stuff, like the patron experience you know, when people are at the convention. And so they, they did a really good job of stepping up the, the um, not only the interactive nature of the, the screening as well as the organization of it with not just their volunteers, but also they printed out a, a really nice like postcard that had um, all of the drinking game rules on it so that the audience could read them and say, okay, well, I know every time, the mom yells at the kids. We have to yell something back at the mom and take a drink um, and shit like that. And so you know, I, I give them a lot of credit for really making it a, an awesome experience. And we promoted it a lot. And so I think we had between like 250 and 300 people in the audience. The room was filled. Um, wow. The audience was cheering and having a blast, the entire cast and crew that was at the convention, which was most of the people, the little girl, um, uh, Casey Hartnett, uh, the blonde friend um, who gets killed in the bathroom at the end of the movie, uh, David Howard Thornton, um, Damien Leone was there, um, you know, the all the producers were there. Uh, it was just, it, it was so cool because they all had a really good time. Every one of them got up at one point throughout the movie and like selfie guy got up and took a selfie with everybody on stage. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that it worked out well and I'm hoping that, that we can do more of these in the future because Screenbox is, you know, acquiring more original programming like that, um, and exclusive releases. So hopefully we can continue to do that. That sounds so cool. Like, I, I wish I could have been there because when I saw the line from the photos you had shared online and just seeing the view from the stage back looking out at the audience, I was like, man, I would love to be there. Uh, mainly because I still haven't got around to checking out the film, but oh, really? from people who know horror, 
I've heard nothing but good things about Terrifier 2. So yeah. I'm I'm excited to check it out, but I've noticed Screenbox is just getting so much stuff. I mean, it's it's like a rival. I'm not trying to like create any <laughs> drama or start anything, yeah. but it's it's like a rival to Shutter. It's like there's Shutter and there's Screenbox. So you've got an alternative. If you don't find it on one, it's going to be there. And I like that Screenbox is here. Like I said, I've got the subscription to it. I sourced so much stuff for this year from Screenbox. And I'm excited to get into it. It's it's a good resource, and I need to check out Terrifier 2 because I've just been doing so much, I haven't got around to it yet. <laughs> well, it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie, so it's it's definitely a dedication of time when you finally do get around to it. Um, but yeah, I, I sincerely appreciate that, and I know that uh, that the rest of the Screenbox and, and Blade Disgusting team appreciate the support of, of having a subscription to it. Um, you know... I, I don't disagree with you, and, and obviously everybody compares it to Shudder. I think that it's the yin to the yang in terms of your horror subscription-based VOD platform. Um, and, you know, my wife does a really good job of, of comparing it to back when Netflix was the big thing and Hulu was just kind of getting their feet wet in the, the VOD mm-hmm. streaming setup. And now you look at, at Hulu and they are a direct competitor to Netflix and so, you know, Screenbox has been around for a long time, but before Cinedime acquired it and rebranded it with Bloody Disgusting as kind of the um, the content cre- uh, curators for Screenbox, you know, it was it was a lot of stuff that was just very, you know, it had a lot of content on it, but none of it was really high quality. And so when they when they acquired it and and acquired bloody disgusting shortly thereafter the intention was we want you guys to really step up the game by providing some awesome horror content that audiences are only going to be able to find here and um and so the first thing obviously was terrifier 2 and we've got some other really cool things as well a lot of documentaries like all of the um all of the john campo piano um stuff like the pennywise documentary on the making Mm -hmm. of the 1990 it miniseries um his team also did uh the you're so cool brewster fright night one they did the leviathan hellraiser one they did the unearthed and un i don't remember what it's called unearthed and something it's the pet cemetery one The pet cemetery right? yeah yeah and they're just they are so damn good at collecting a great group of people who worked on the projects to be interviewed. And the BTS footage that they feature is just beyond what, what you could hope for if you're a fan of those movies, um, and which I am being a product of the 80s horror you know, generation. I, I've devoured all of those um, multiple times in some cases and uh i don't know if they produce this one but we just got the uh it's called just desserts and it's the creep show documentary um for the original creep show <clears throat> which is really awesome because you know if you're if you're a horror fan you have to put mad respect to creep show the original two movies because it was like literally a the the perfect amalgamation of of three like godfathers of the genre between 
George Romero as the filmmaker, Stephen King as the writer, and Tom Savini as the effects artist, you know? Yeah. Um, and so... It was like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, totally, totally. So, yeah, so, you know, and, and then we've got narrative stuff, too, other than Terrifier 2. I know that they've got the first Terrifier on there. Um, we acquired a, a, I think it's Brazilian or Venezuelan um, or Argentinian. I think it's Argentinian. It's called Pussy Cake, and it's... Um, it's kind of like if evil dead met like Jennifer's body, I guess is how I would kind of compare it. Um, which is a lot of fun. So you, you should check that one out if you like kind of zombie demon type movies. Um, and, uh, there's a handful of other ones on there as well. You know, we've got the taking of Deborah Logan, which is a really great movie. If you haven't seen that, Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. Easily one of my favorite found footage movies. Um, and I, I would have to assume it's on Screenbox. It's on Screenbox TV. Uh, currently it's called Bloody Disgusting TV, but we're rebranding the channel February 15th. That's like a big exclusive news that no one else knows publicly. Um, but, uh, we have the Banshee chapter. Have you ever seen the Banshee chapter? No, I have not. Dude, it is. It's not purely found footage. It's like a, a combination of found footage and regular narrative filmmaking. Okay. Um, but it is about this girl who, I'd say late 20s, early 30s, whose friend is a documentary filmmaker. And he is documenting this random like numbers radio station. Have you ever heard of those before? Oh, yeah. I've heard of those. Super creepy, right? Um, yeah. And so he's like kind of like researching and doing this documentary on a number station that has been discovered on the radio um, waves and he disappears. And so she goes to look for him and try and uncover the mystery of what happened to him. And along the way, she realizes that there's a connection to this number station with this guy who is like very, very Hunter S. Thompson, kind of this beatnik writer who lives out in the desert who's played by Ted Levine um, of Buffalo fame. Nice. Um, And so she hooks up with him and they kind of like go on this adventure together to try and like discover where the origin of this number stations coming from and find her friend. And it is super creepy. Like it is legitimately in the last 10 years, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my opinion. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah. So we have that on the channel and I've been programming the ever-loving hell out of it because we just got it last month. So I'm like really trying to shove it down my viewership's throat right now because it's just so good and not a lot of people have seen it. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know it's it's just really exciting. I'm I'm so I'm so damn excited to be a part of something that I truly believe in and 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 have no problem promoting. Um, and I, I can't wait to see where Screenbox is at in five years because it has the backing of this huge company, Cinedime, which, you know, Cinedime is this big media conglomerate, you know, company like, I don't know, like Viacom or whatever. And you right. know, Shutter is owned by AMC, the, the television station, not the theater chain. Right. Um, so they have a lot of money behind them, which is why they've been able to create so many original movies as well as collect so much uh, exclusive content but we have um 
you know, we have the backing of Cinedime, and, and Cinedime is, is a pretty big company, too. They own El Rey Network. They own the Bob Ross channel, um, Midnight Pulp, which is apparently a pretty big streaming channel, as well as Con TV. So, you know, our, our audience is, is pretty huge. And um, mm-hmm. I'm just really excited to have that um, that kind of foundation to work off of. And, and they look to us and say, you guys are the horror nerds. Tell us what we need <laughs> to beef up our horror content. And uh, they listen. And so I'm very, very happy to be part of that team. That's that's awesome, man. Because I remember the first time I heard of Screambox, I went on there and if I'm remembering correctly, it was basically like a lot of like public domain stuff yes, and very obscure stuff that would be easy to be able to get on a, a small streaming platform. And yeah. then all of a sudden when I'm talking to you, you're like, yeah, screen box. I'm like, wait, what? And I go back and look and it's just blown up. And I'm like, this is amazing. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. And every one of those documentaries you've mentioned, I've I've consumed those, and I own a copy on Blu-ray of Just Desserts because I'm such a huge Creep Show fan. Yeah, I've got the Pennywise one. I'm gonna I haven't watched Just Desserts yet, but that's gonna be one of the kind of late night after the wife has fallen asleep on the couch. I'll put that on. Um, so I'm looking forward to catching that in the next couple of weeks. Have you watched? Are you a fan of like that kind of retro synth wave music that's out now that's been out for the last decade? I do like it because a lot of it evokes Carpenter. And since I'm a yes. huge Carpenter fan, I I really appreciate when somebody can kind of tap into that. Okay. So you should you should watch on there. Have you caught the rise of the synths on Screenbox? No, but it is on my list to watch. I have curated a huge list on there. Dude, so it's on my list to watch. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I got to watch it. Yeah, it's really cool. And Carpenter actually is the, the I don't want to call him the narrator because it's visual. Like he's, they show him sitting at like a, a desk with a microphone and he talks through the, um, so he's, I guess, the MC of the, the documentary, which is really cool. Nice. Yeah. I mean, no, no one better to pick than Carpenter. I mean, the guy's gone on tour doing his music. There's right. a reason for that. Right. I mean. I know. I was just listening to Lost Themes 3 today when I was at work earlier. Oh, so, man. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. And I got to say, that Pennywise documentary, that is that is some good shit. <laughs> oh, I know. I've I think I've watched it twice now, and... Just because it's so interesting. Yeah, and it's thorough. That's We had the Blu-rays for sale along with the Terrifier 2 Blu-rays at the Atlanta convention last weekend. And I, 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 didn't, I was surprised that I sold almost out of the, the Pennywise Blu-rays that I brought with me. Um, I think I had five left at the end of the weekend. And Wow. Uh, yeah, I was I was really pleased with that because I promoted the ever loving shit out of it because I believe in it so much. It is incredibly thorough, um, you know, and it's two and a half hours long, so it should be thorough. But uh, but yeah, I just I love that they literally delve into every aspect of that movie, um, and they do it a lot of justice, which I appreciate. And it's mm-hmm. I've been such a big fan of Tim Curry my entire life. I grew up on Clue, so. Between Clue and Pennywise, he's just 
been one of my favorite actors. And even I remember when I was a little, little kid, my mom had taped Annie like the I want to say it was probably from the early 80s, the Annie movie um, about little mm-hmm. orphan Annie with. Um, uh, I don't remember who played um, Daddy Warbucks, big bald guy. Was it was it was it? Um, you know, I can't remember now. Yeah, because the only bald guys I'm thinking of it's oh. Joel Brenner and Telly Savalas. No, yes, it, yeah, no, it's not. He looks like Telly Savalas. It's uh, Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And Tim Curry plays. Um, he's he's the 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 guy who like they kidnap her or whatever. They pretend to be her parents, and him and Bernadette Peters pretend to be her parents, and they like basically kidnap her with um with Mrs. Hannigan. Um, God, I can't believe I fucking remember that. I haven't seen that movie in like 35 years. Um, the fact that you did that, it just unlocked a memory. I'm like, I've only seen the movie once and I went, oh my God, you're right. That is him. Yeah, it's just, it's Tim Curry in like the 1930s kind of de- post-depression era, like, you know, outfit. And he's just like making the Tim Curry faces. And between that and and Wadsworth from Clue, I just, you know... I, I always loved him as a character actor and then seeing him transform as Pennywise and subsequently later watching him in Rocky Horror and then in Legend, it's just like this guy is one of the most talented. For for many years, he was in my top three actors of all time between him and Johnny yeah. Depp and Tom Hanks. So, Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, he's always been like someone that I've been like, Okay, if Tim Curry's in it, I'm definitely giving this a watch because right. even if it's not great, at least he's going to give a performance. I even enjoyed him on the Roseanne sitcom when he would show up on there. Oh, see, I didn't. My mom never let us watch that. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know why. I think she just kind of thought it was trashy um, humor. And same thing with yeah. Married with Children. And I've actually started to go back and watch Married with Children now with my wife. And I fucking love it. Um, it is so funny. We're, uh, yeah, I was I was able to watch that growing up, and I had a lot of friends who were like, "My parents will never let me watch Married with Children." I'm like, looking back as an adult, I'm like, "Yeah, I can I can see why because there's a lot, a lot of stuff that you would not get away with today." Yeah, oh, 100 percent. It was very all in the family um, in the 80s, mm-hmm. and and I you know I appreciate that because um, it it is a product of its time. It do, it definitely doesn't age very well, but you know, I use Paganel Bundy as a comparison for source material for the widow and Charlie from Skeletons in the Closet. So it's it's good to finally go back now and um, and be able to kind of immerse myself in those personalities and those sense of humors and that dynamic of just two people who hate each other but love each other. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because we're we're really trying to develop a sequel for Skeletons right now and. Stuff like that. Ooh, so. Nice. I I love skeletons. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I I love it. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. I I still got to get the Blu-ray, but but I've watched it on streaming a couple of times. I've rented it both times to make sure that somebody was getting money out of that. And well, yeah, both times that. that I watched it, I'm like, this is just so much fun. Well, you gotta. You you definitely have to pick up the Blu-ray at some point because. Uh, it's got tons of special features on it. If you like watching documentaries on stuff, we've got a really good behind the scenes featurette as well as like a, a good um, like uh, collage of stills from 
the uh, photographer who took all of our promotional stuff from the BTS of the movie. Um, the audio commentary between my co-directors and myself is is pretty solid too. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So. I I love behind the scenes feature. Anytime I get something new, if I've new on Blu-ray, if it's something I've seen, I'm always delving into the special features first. What documentaries? Like I have the the box set from um, Scream Factory of all the Friday the Thirteenth movies. I've seen those time and time again. I, I've consumed them so many times over the years. I started going through just all the special features, which. A lot of it came, was taken from Crystal Lake Memories, but there's still newer stuff. Sure. So anything I didn't know, I'm just consuming. I'm just taking it all in. I'm like, this is great. And there's other little things they put together. And I'm a huge special features nerd when it comes to all that. So, yeah, when I get skeletons, I'm going to dive into all of that. Even if it's four hours, that'll be four hours of my time spent very well. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, um, hit me up when you when you decide you want to pick it up and – and uh, I can just have you PayPal me separately instead of going through the website. That way you don't have to pay tax on it. So it saves you a couple bucks. I definitely, man. I'll definitely let you know because uh, there's that. And then, you know, since we're talking movies being released, you guys are currently working on something that's really fun. I believe it has to do with an anniversary that, that is uh, this year. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it is the 15-year anniversary of the release of It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. Um, technically, it was last year, but uh, I, I've been working on developing the 15-year anniversary edition for a few months now. Um, it's My Party released September of 2007, and um, I just sold my last DVD of the Fuck Start Your Face edition, Um which uh, that was back in November. So ever since then, I've been developing this 15-year anniversary edition, which is a two-disc DVD set. It's got the feature-length movie, um, which has, uh, you know, it's it was my first feature. It's very Night of the Demons meets Evil Dead meets Creepshow. Um, I shot it while I was going to Tom Savini's special effects school. So all of my friends from school worked on it with me. It's all practical special effects. Uh, it features a cameo from Tom Savini. He came out for a day and, and was in the movie with us, which was a lot of fun, um, and super motivating. And, um, and then, so we've got a bunch of special features on that disc as well. And then it includes the second disc, which is the Choose Your Own Adventure version of the movie, which is a ton of fun. Um, basically, when I started making the movie, it was a 45-page script. And I knew that as a, as a short film, it really wasn't going to set me that far apart from other independent filmmakers. So I needed to make it a unique calling card. And the way to do that was to make it a Choose Your Own Adventure movie. Um, you know, at the time in 2005, when we started shooting the movie, there were not a lot of independent short films being made like there are now because there wasn't the access mm -hmm. to prosumer HD cameras. I still shot that on standard definition. Um, and so despite the fact that there wasn't as much for lack of a better term competition with independent mm -hmm. filmmaking in the community, I still wanted something that set me apart from everybody else when I was going out there and talking to people about the movie and showing it to them. So I wrote it as a 45-page script, and then I added these different tangents that the characters would go on. 
And if you killed them, you had to start over again. And with DVD authoring being the way that it was, it when you when you author a DVD, it's kind of like a, like building a family tree, and you can branch <clears throat> off of the menus with the different videos. So all I did was just you know like with a normal DVD will have your main menu, and then your main menu will have your play movie option, your chapter selection option, your special features option, your audio option, so on and so forth. And so I just did that a bunch more times, and each of the menus was a was a, a like a, a chapter that you could choose. As you're going through the movie, it would go to a menu and say, do you want to do this or this? Um, so it's a lot of fun, and, and a lot of people enjoy it because it, not only does it give it more of that nostalgic feel, the movie already has a very 80s look to it and feel to it, but making it choose your own adventure, I think, really adds to that 80s feel because those books were really prominent in the 80s, if you remember. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I read so, my fair share. Yeah. So I I, I always really loved that, and so I'm excited about that. And, and the last version of the movie, uh, the DVD, had all those features as well. Um, but the really exciting thing about the 15-year anniversary edition is that I'm including a 30-page comic that is of the sequel, You Would Die Too If It Happened to You. And it's the first 30 minutes, basically, of the sequel, where if you've seen the first movie, the main character, Sarah, has to fight through a horde of monsters in Burkett Manor at the end of the movie. And so we start out immediately after the first movie ends, kind of like Halloween and Halloween 2. And you are now seeing what happens after Sarah survives this massacre of of her friends that have turned into monsters, um, courtesy of the evil in Burkett Manor. And the evil possesses one of the EMTs that is carrying the bodies out of the house. Um, in the aftermath of the the massacre, and she sees this happen and has to pursue this paramedic that is now possessed by Mr. Burkett's evil, um, and you know it kind of goes from there um, and what happens next. And it's so it, it's really cool because um, it it I think it it's giving the audience that and and there's a lot of diehard fans of that movie who have been you know a fan of it for 15 years now. So mm-hmm. now it's like this additional content that they might have heard an inkling that there was a sequel script that we tried to produce at one point, um, or they didn't even know that it had a sequel, that there's more to Sarah's story. So I'm just really excited about that because I feel like it's it's such a fun movie. And, and at this point, I would remake the first movie if I ever got to shoot these, but that is a definite goal of mine. It's a bucket list item as a producer and director to to remake the first one and shoot the sequel subsequently um, so that we can put them out one after the other. Kind of like Avatar <laughs> with about a, a zillionth <laughs> right. of the budget. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited. When I saw you put that up, I was like, oh, yes, okay, yeah, I'm in. I'm in for this 100%. Thank you. Well, yeah, you got to so get your... Get your pre-order in. <laughs> yeah, I got to get my pre-order in. If you, you know what, shoot me over a link to where people can hit, go through that link to pre-order, and I'll make sure to include it so you guys out there can support this project and get your own copy of the movie and the comic. 
I've already got the fuck start your face edition, but I'm going to double dip and get get that with the comic so I can have that package. It's, it's sort of like it's like a collector's edition anniversary set for me, and I'm all for that. Yeah, it's it's worth it for the comic alone. At this point, I've seen ten pages of it. Um, two pages are colored, and the other eight are just black and white. But it's it's really awesome. I've got this uh, um, comic artist from Greece named Vasilis, uh, who I've tagged on the the Instagram posts that I've shared a couple of the images from the comic. I've tagged him, so you should definitely. People should follow me on Instagram at Scotchworthy um, is my tag on there. And uh, you can take a look at some of his art. He does some pretty good stuff. Um, so it's worth it just for the comic alone, even if, you know, you already have a copy of the movie. Um, but it's also the great thing about pre-ordering it is that I'm also doing a contest where um, I'm going to be giving away uh, actual like props and stuff from the movie um, including like some of the screen worn, um, like costumes from the, the movie, as well as I, I think I might be giving away Sarah's katana sword from the end of the movie where she kills Mr. Burkett with it. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. I think that might be like the grand prize. Um, I also have some like literally first edition DVDs where I literally burned the DVDs on my computer from the master file of the movie in Final Cut Pro and like designed the DVD cover sleeve and like printed it myself and at like Staples. And so I have like, you know, I think I have like the first 25 copies all numbered and signed by me. And I think I'm going to give those away as well. Um, and I'm also going to be donating a, a small portion of the sales to cancer research in memory of Adrian Fisher the star of the movie who passed away uh, a couple years ago of cancer, unfortunately. So, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's an awesome thing to do with those, those proceeds. That's, that's awesome. And I kind of feel like this is also like a way to just like kind of pay tribute to her. Like, Hey, her work in this, cause I will say her act, her, everyone in the movie is great. She is just a great heroine. You created such a great character in that is she brought it to life so well i i love that performance yeah i appreciate that i i hate it because i really i always talk to her about you know we we tried producing the sequel back in 2009 and weren't able to raise enough money to do it but we had a really great location and you know a bunch of the team was on board all the actors mm -hmm. from the first movie that were going to come back um were also a part of it again um and so it was unfortunate that it didn't end up happening, probably for the best, because I don't think that we would have raised enough money to do it, um, to do it justice at least, because there is a lot of special effects. It's very dead alive. The sequel is very dead alive um, or Demons 2, you know, where it's just like a army of demons are attacking Sarah and, and her two kind of... Um, the two people that are helping her fight these creatures um, to get to Burkett. It's very game of death, like Bruce Lee game of death, where she's got to kind of like kung fu video game her way up the levels to get to Burkett eventually. Um, and so, nice. yeah, so it's it. I'm glad that we didn't shoot it when we did, although I'm really sad that we didn't get the location that we had because um, the location, the house that we had to shoot it in was really cool and perfect for it. But what I always wanted to do as we got older 
is I always wanted Adrian to come back and play her mother, the character's mother, Sarah's mother, in, in the, the new movie, the remake. And so since I can't do that, I'm obviously going to dedicate the movie to her when we make it, if we make it. Um, but I have every intention of trying to get some of the other actors involved again, like uh, Darcy Wood, um, Daniel Nordham, who were her friends, Dee and Cassie, in the first movie. I think that it would be fun to get them involved if we could somehow. So we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, every little bit helps. You know, it's it's very tough to be an independent filmmaker um, when you don't have a huge fan base, you know, if you've got a dedicated fan base like I have, thankfully, I've got a handful of very dedicated, true Scotchworthy fans that support everything that I release. And, and I love all of you guys for it. But if you don't have, you know, a thousand people that are willing to buy everything that you release merchandise wise, sometimes it's difficult to justify the expense and these, this edition is costing me a lot of money um, to produce mm. because the comic is high quality. I'm doing 30 pages, so it's pretty extensive. Um, and uh, and then obviously printing the DVDs and the cases and all that, it's, it's a lot. But I'm really excited about it. So that's why I'm trying to give it as much oomph as I can with the, the prizes and, and all that stuff. Yeah, which is definitely cool that there's going to be that. But I'll I'll do my part to try and help because I've been a huge fan of you guys. I mean, It's My Party was the first movie I saw you guys do. And then, of course, I went and bought, you know, A Chance in Hell, The Rake. And I've gone down. <laughs> I've gone down the Scotchworthy spiral and it's been it's so great. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm going to do my part to, to do whatever I can to help you guys promote the hell out of that because it's an awesome thing to do. And especially getting the comic book follow-up so we can kind of see where it's going to go. And then hopefully if enough people buy it, we'll get a remake of these movies because that would be awesome too. Yeah, well, that would be something that, you know, with my with my position at this point with Bloody Disgusting and Screambox, you know, my goal is going to be to start producing original content for the platform and, um, you know, I think that It's My Party is the perfect thing for that platform. And uh, after we've been generating stuff for, uh, I think, a couple of years, we'll be at the point where we'll be able to get budgets together that'll facilitate, you know, the production value that I want for both of those films. And thankfully, movies like Terrifier 2 were huge successes for Screambox and Blade Disgusting. So it's kind of paving the way for us to do that. So I'm very excited about what the next five years hold. Yeah, that's that's very cool. If if you get those budgets together, because I mean it took Shudder, not to not to go back to them, but it took them a while before they were able to produce any original content. So I mean, it's not like Shudder was right out of the gate getting original stuff. They started out very much like Screenbox. It was a small library and then it just kind of got bigger after AMC. So I've I've got hope I've got hope for Screenbox to be moving up and I'm I'm excited to see if your original content gets on there because that would be just so cool to see. Well that's I mean that's really the awesome thing about it is that at this point they're they're talking to me about developing two series, two original series for Screenbox TV. Um, that's what my current task is, uh, which is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm really excited about it because I've been, I, I reached out to the uh, filmmaker community that I've been a part of and that I've curated over the last 
um, uh, you know, seven or eight years through <clears throat> World of Death and Bloody Bites, the two shows that I produce um, with Bloody Disgusting. And I have some really awesome concepts that I'm really excited about pitching Bloody Disgusting in the next few weeks and, uh, and getting produced over the next year. So um, I think that that's going to be the start of, of this exciting and wild ride. So you will, you will see updates as they happen. That's for sure. And I'm going to make sure I share those rounds as soon as I see them. I want everybody to know what's going on. Cause it's awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So, so much cool stuff. The fact that you, the transition here to, to the other reason I wanted you to come on today. Cause we've in the past, we've, we've discussed everything you're working on and then it kind of developed, delved into us just talking about horror. Yeah. So I reached out. I actually, did I reach out to you? How did this, I don't even remember how it's where I have been doing so much podcasting stuff, trying to get things laid out for the year. I don't even remember if I, I reached out to you directly or if you kind of reached out to me. I don't remember how it worked out, but I know I suggested a couple movies to you and you went, you're basically kind enough to go, no, not those. I'm nah. not watching those. <laughs> Well, I let's do was, this one instead. It wasn't that I, I it wasn't that I wasn't necessarily interested in watching one of those three. It's just that I I was on a I was on a podcast a couple of I don't know, maybe a month ago, and mm-hmm. the guy asked me a question. He's like, if you were to remake a horror movie, what would it be? And my answer was, you know, it's like everybody always goes to like their favorite horror movie and wants to remake it. You know, like, oh, I want to remake Nightmare on Elm Street or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something and Night of the Living Dead. And it's like I wouldn't want to remake a movie that doesn't need a remake. I would want to remake a movie that is a great concept that may not have been executed correctly um, or didn't have the best budget to support the idea back in the day. And so that's kind of what I where I went with it. And so I I think I said there were three movies. It was Hell Night, it was House by the Cemetery, and then um, Superstition. And I was like, you know what? I haven't watched Superstition in a while. So I was like, I'm gonna watch that. And then you hit me up and said, let's you know get you on the podcast. Let's watch a movie. Do you want to watch one of these three? And I said, well. I've been, you know, or you could watch or we could do something else. And I was like, well, I kind of set this movie aside and pulled the Blu-ray out of my stack and was going to watch this one. Have you ever seen it? And you were like, no, I haven't. So I was like, well, shit, I would I'd love to introduce you to a lesser known early 80s supernatural slasher like Superstition and see what you think of it. And and I love that you brought it to the table because, like I said, I hadn't seen it. Superstition from 1982 or 1985 for the technical U.S. release. All those stories about murders and ghosts. Haunted, they say. I'm scared. Two kids were killed out there. One kid was gutted and slashed to death. The other microwave. There was a warning. There are many houses on this foundation. All of them and their tenants come to bad ends. And only one man listened. Well, when did this violence begin? There was a legend. We want justice! Murder! 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 
And only one man believed. Am I too late? Has it already started? There is a superstition, and will anyone survive? Superstition. The victims who died were the lucky ones. Superstition. And I'm, I'm very happy you brought this to the table because I did have fun with this one. It's fun, right? It is. And just to let people know, we are probably going to spoil this because we're going to talk. We're just going to talk about it. I'm, we're not going to go through the entire like scene by scene breakdown or anything like that, but. The fact that this is a witch who has come back and is getting her revenge in modern times, it sounds like such a, a, like, oh, it's been done before. But the way this is done, and it may not have been executed perfectly, but I was so interested in the story. Call me crazy, but I was very interested in the in the backstory and everything as to what why this was happening. Yeah, I agree. I, I love that, that they, they kind of delve into that, you know, late 1600s, which, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, which scare that the, the country dealt with back in the day. And, you know, you've got this town that, um, has accused this woman of kidnapping and murdering a child, sacrificing the child to Satan, and they don't know what to do with her. And it's like they, because she's like threatening them and mocking them, they they are. It's like the village convinces the 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 priest of the father of the town to 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 sentence her to death, and. It's like they don't burn her alive. They like drowned her in this pond and and they throw this big cross into the water to to basically bind her there for eternity Mm -hmm. and protect them from the curse that she lays on them all. And they all end up dying these horrible deaths because the curse actually is able to kind of seep past the bond that this cross has kept to protect the village. But. Yeah, it's like you you come to modern day now in the 80s and this property is kind of abandoned and the witch's spirit is able to kind of roam the the property at night but is like locked in to only roaming at night until this family moves into the house and they like pull this, they pull the cross out of the pond. They find it when they're like dredging the pond and now that they've pulled that that cross out of the pond, her spirit is free to roam the property all hours of the day. And she just goes on this fucking killing spree. And it's like the most outlandish deaths you could think of, you know? Oh, yeah. 
it was and the fact that they had the 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 balls to kill a kid right i'm like all right all right you've let's see what else we got and you don't even really know the kid's dead i mean you pretty much know once the kids grab but you're like okay are is he is he gonna come because you don't know it's like is the witch gonna use him in some way is he just dead nope he's dead (laughs) well she kills three kids if you remember the two teenagers in the beginning of the movie that's right um, you know, she 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 cuts the one kid's head off and puts it in the microwave so it blows up. And then the other kid, she fucking like so she's supernatural. So she's kind of like Candyman or Freddy Krueger, which I think is a really cool dynamic mm-hmm. to a slasher film where it's supernatural. Um, but I love the fact that like the second kid can't get out of the house because she closes all the doors. So she opens a window and he like crawls up and like goes through the window, which I kind of like paid homage to that and it's my party and i'll die if i want to in one of the uh mm-hmm. the choose your own adventure tangents surprisingly enough um but like yeah the, the kid like climbs up to go out the window and when he gets halfway out the window she like closes it on him and he's all stuck and he's like squirming and screaming trying to get loose and she comes up behind him and basically cuts him in half and his legs fall down inside the house and land on the floor and like the leg is still twitching. And then they cut to showing him laying on the ground outside. And it's just like his torso and his head. And the, and it's like this fucking 15-year-old kid. And he's just like, yeah. you know, it's funny. Yeah, actually. So, yes, I, I stand corrected. It was three kids, <laughs> two teenagers and one who was about 10. But, yeah, that the head exploding out of the microwave, that was just fun. But seeing this kid trapped in the window... And I was watching this with Leanne and she, she bowed out about halfway through the movie. She was like, okay, I got, she goes, I got some stuff I got to do, but let me know where this is. Cause I went ahead and bought it on voodoo. Cause I was like, it's the same to rent or buy. Most likely I'm going to like this movie regardless of how cheesy or possibly bad it could end up being. Uh I, I love just eighties cheese and this, this has it completely, but she appreciated the leg twitch. So she wanted me to tell you, thank you for as much as she seen. Cause she saw that leg twitch and went, okay, that was good. I've always said that is something that not enough horror directors do in a movie. Um, the twitching of a body part after it's been killed. One of my favorite deaths ever. Uh, there's two of them from day of the dead. When the, when the dude at the end gets ripped in half and he's like, Joe got him. And his voice gets all like groggly. And then when the other military guy gets his head ripped off and his scream raises in pitch by like three octaves that those types of, of attention to detail um, are the things that I think are really important for, for like just adding that last little accent of realism to a death scene in a movie that I think just makes it even more effective um, when you're trying to like really unnerve an audience. And so, yeah, I really love how they did that in, in superstition. And it's, I mean, it's super hokey. Otherwise, like you think about the priest who gets killed by the fucking, um, the table (laughs) saw blade that like, like flies across the room and and buries into his chest and keeps spinning even though there's it's not attached to anything and literally cuts itself through his torso and through the chair that he's sitting in. I mean, how much sillier can you get than that? 
Yeah, that when I saw that, I went, "Okay, I know exact." Now I get exactly what we're dealing with. Yeah. Okay, because those first couple of kills, you're like, "Oh, okay, all right," and then you see that, and you're like, "I don't understand how, but maybe you know, supernatural, whatever." Okay, we've established supernatural happens. Maybe that's why. I don't know, but it was kind of cool to see the blade go through his chest. Although if you, if you watch closely and this is just, you know, this is low budget filmmaking in the eighties, the way they showed him like a close up of his face, there was enough of his chest where you could see where the saw was supposed to be, but the blade wasn't there. Then they'd cut back and show you where the blade was. Yeah, It's, it's a minor nitpick, but I mean, I just love the fact that there was all sorts of blood and then the saw blade goes right through him and just spins on the ground after. Yeah. Right. Well, and the like the the really awesome thing about it is, um, let me find. Okay, so here's the really cool thing about that movie that I didn't even realize until I watched it this most recent time. Um, when I when I watched, it, I, I saw the the producer names at the beginning, the two producers who present it, um, mm-hmm. Mario Kazar and um, I think it's Andrew Vajna or whatever. Um, so I was like, okay, I recognize those names. And and instantly when I went to their IMDb, I knew why I recognized their names. And just to kind of run through the credits of the movies that these two guys produced, okay? The, the, the tour de force that these guys were as producers in the 80s. They started with The Changeling, which is arguably one of the best haunted house movies I've ever seen. Okay. That's why I know those names. Not to cut you off real quick. That's because no. I was like, those names are familiar. Why? No, okay. that's not why you know the names. That's 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 their first movie that oh. they produced, which is really awesome. Okay. They did all the Rambo movies. They did Deep Star Six. They did Total Fucking Recall. They did Repossessed. They did Jacob's Ladder, LA Story, The Doors, Terminator 2, fucking Basic Instinct, Universal Soldier, Chaplin, Cliffhanger, Stargate, Showgirls. I mean, the list goes on, man. Like, think about that's where those guys started. They started on Superstition of all movies. Holy shit. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Okay, so I know them for a lot more. I recognize their names because of Rambo. I I watched Rambo 2 religiously when I was like nine years old. So I, I knew as soon as I saw Kassar and Vajna, I was like, I know those names. Those guys did Rambo, didn't they? Sure enough. I mean, it's it's amazing to think that they, they made this low-budget slasher movie that, that took three years to get released in the U.S. because of all the problems that they had with the production and the post-production on it, apparently. Right. And then they went on to produce like these $150 million blockbusters like Terminator 2 and Total Recall. It's crazy. Yeah. To see them start on this and then just that list of just, you know, hit after hit after hit. And even if it wasn't a big hit, it's just something that is in the zeitgeist of pop culture. I know. It's crazy. Like I grew up on those Rambo movies too, but most recently, I, I rewatched The Changeling just a few months back. Same so here. when those names popped up, I'm like, God, those names look so familiar. I know I've seen them somewhere. So when you said Changeling, it kind of sparked. I went, yeah, I remember seeing it there. 
but then everything else is like, oh, there's my childhood. They're partially responsible for what I watched growing up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they helped create, you know, the career of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. So, yeah, arguably the two largest action heroes of all time, you know. So Right. Pretty pretty damn awesome. Um, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Holy shit, man. <laughs> so but I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's it's a fun movie and it's it's really hokey. I ended up I started it when I first told you I was gonna watch it, and then I finished mm-hmm. it over the weekend in Atlanta um with my friend Adam Michaels and his wife Kaylee. Um she fell asleep about five minutes in, but Ab and I, he made it about he made it about forty five minutes in, and then I finished it up. And it's a lot hokier than I remember. The last time I watched it was probably four or five years ago, and before mm-hmm. that, it was probably ten or fifteen years. But it's still a fun movie. It's a good one to watch with a group of horror fans that really like hokey, you know, insanely, um, like profuse violence and stuff that makes not a lick of sense type of, of stuff in the, from the eighties. It's one of those movies that I just love. Yeah. I, I have a new, new love for this movie. Cause like I said, I had never seen it. I hadn't even heard of it. till you mentioned it. So I was like, okay, I wonder what this is all about. But immediately I was like, there's going to be something good about this because if Tony's recommending it, I'm going to trust his judgment. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a very specific taste in horror movies and, and superstition definitely falls into that, um, into that mix for sure. So, um, you know, you look at like, like when we were just on the video chat, you look at the posters I have on my wall in my office, I've got night of the creeps, Mm -hmm. return of living dead house, fright night, Friday 13th, part three, ghost story and Leviathan. It's like, if if you like those movies, you're going to like superstition. You know, exactly. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm really glad I was able to introduce you to something that not a lot of people know about, and uh, um, hopefully now some of your your listeners are going to give it a watch because it's definitely worth the rental. You know, for whatever it is five bucks. Yeah, it definitely is. I think it was like when I looked at it, it was like five bucks to rent and maybe like five or seven bucks to own. And I was like, I might as well just buy it at this point. It's digital, but you know, it's going to be one that I look for the Blu-ray and add to my collection physically because it's a lot of fun. And one thing I really like is we never really saw the creature. No. That is going around doing the killing. You see hands, you see a silhouette of what the creature is, uh, this robed figure. That's it. And I was like, I, like that because maybe you weren't maybe you tried and it didn't look right so you held back or you just went you know what we don't need to show it because whatever the viewer is imagining is going to be far worse than what we can produce anyway well you know what it is it's very prince of darkness Mm -hmm. if you think about it you know it reminds me a lot of that cloaked figure in prince of darkness which at the end of the movie obviously ends up being the girl the scientist but um you know and she's like the physical manifestation of the devil in that but you don't know that for the most part you just see kind of the silhouette of this cloaked figure standing in the doorway of the church and all those those like flashback visions that they're all having in that shared dream um right which is such a good call out because i didn't even put that together and once you said that i'm like yeah that definitely i wouldn't be surprised if carpenter saw this and went 
that'd be a cool thing to do for Prince of Darkness. Yeah, right. You know, and, and maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't, I don't know when, is Prince of Darkness like 86 or something like, or 87 maybe? I believe it's 87. Okay, so it was after after Big Trouble in Little China then, because that was 86, I right. think. Yeah, Big Trouble in Little China was 86, and then Prince of Darkness followed that. God, man, that dude had just a fucking, talk about a bang-up decade of awesome movies. Uh, just, just so much that he did. I, mean, uh, I could talk Carpenter all day. <laughs> I think any horror fan could talk Carpenter all day. When I when I was doing World of Death, we ran 220 episodes, I believe, or 225 episodes. We featured over <laughs> 500 short films in World of Death. Um, over the 225 episodes, we represented more than 50 countries worth of filmmakers in the four years that we ran that show on Bloody Disgusting's YouTube channel. And in each episode, I asked the filmmakers to answer like 10 questions. You know, if you could remake a horror movie, what would it be? Who's your, you know, your favorite horror filmmaker? And I shit you not, 95% of them said John Carpenter. To think of like the influence that that man has had on the current generation of filmmakers is just insane to me. When he passes away... There is going to be a mourning period like there was for John Lennon and Elvis Presley, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's going to hit a lot of people hard. Yeah. And I I want that day to be a long time from now. It's impressive. He hasn't yet considering how much he smokes. No shit. I mean. So, yeah. I, uh, Anytime he's had a health scare, I'm like, no, no, no. We are not ready yet for this. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, he's fine. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I consider myself very fortunate because I've I've seen him in concert twice um, at two really cool venues in Chicago. And the second time I met him um, and got his autograph, which made me really happy. But... Um, I'm really bummed because on his Instagram, and I hate this because I feel like now I'm adding my, to my competition, but it's like, I need to like, I wonder if it's, do I have to follow him? I'm actually going to do it right now because now I'm thinking about it. Um, on his Instagram, every once in a while, he will actually like um, post like uh, giveaways or like where he's selling selling stuff, you know? Huh. And, um, and so like, he'll like say, Hey, you can, you know, uh, like, let me try and find one of them where he was doing like a giveaway of, it wasn't a giveaway. He was selling his movie collection and shit like that. And so he's like, you know, the first, however many people, the first 15 people to put a bid in, will get a collection of my here. Okay. Um, Oh, so that's okay. Here it is out. So this was in, it was April 13th, 2022. He's got this picture of his like living room. And I've, I've seen this, this area of his house before in interviews that he's done. Um, and he's got like the, the Halloween pinball machine in the background, which is really cool, but he's got a coffee table filled with stacks of VHS tapes. And it says, out with the old, in with the new. 
we're doing a little spring cleaning of the archives here at John Carpenter Central and are finally letting go of all of John Carpenter's personal collection of movies on VHS. This is your chance to get a piece of this. Each VHS mystery box contains 10 VHS tapes from John Carpenter's personal movie closet. Classic films, horror films, westerns, cult films, blockbusters. He watched all of them. And every 10 tape mystery box comes with a personally hand-signed photo of the master of horror himself. So it's like, and he's done a couple of those things before. I think he got rid of some like laser discs as well. And I'm just oh, wow. like, motherfucker, what I wouldn't give to own a couple of John Carpenter's personal movie collection items, you know? Yeah. God. Same here. I know. <clears throat> I know. So I was like, I was like, I need to be a little bit quicker to the draw on this next time around. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely have to follow him here myself and keep an eye out. Yeah, so it's 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 funny though because I've seen like stuff he's done like body bags over the last few years has seemed to like really gain some traction as like a cult thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I still remember when that premiered on I think it was like Cinemax or Showtime. It was the pilot for a ser- anthology series they were trying like Tales from the Crypt. So I still remember that being the premise of Body Bags before it was packaged as just this movie. Wow, I don't remember that. And I was like, this is great. John Carpenter's playing, you know, this dead guy in the morgue. It's really cool. He's doing the narrative wraparound. Everybody's like, what are you talking about? And now it's like, it was like, oh, yeah, Body Bags is great. I'm like, I told you years ago this was great. <laughs> it's one of those things where I'm like, I've been talking about it, and I just re- I remember that because they're like, yeah, this new series, Body Bags. I'm like, why didn't this take off? And you know, it just didn't hit with a lot of people. And Tales from the Crypt was so huge. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know, again, he he definitely had a hell of a career, even if it was only you know, if the most prolific part of it was the first twelve years of it or so. Um, and I still enjoy some of his 90s films. I I like vampires. I enjoy, um, uh, I like In the Mouth of Madness, and I enjoy mm-hmm. Ghosts of Mars for as cheesy as it is. I still like it. Um, but uh, And I've never even seen Village of the Damned, um, and I don't think I've ever seen the full memoirs of The Invisible Man. But, yeah, he's just, he's one of those people that has, has really influenced my career and my style of filmmaking and storytelling and um, just, you know, I wish he was still making movies. I understand why he doesn't, but I wish he would. You know, if he set up a Kickstarter for a movie, he'd raise like $10 million. Oh, it would, it would be funded basically overnight with so much extra. I know it's insane. (laughs) So I mean, and like you, I haven't seen memoirs of an invisible man, or at least not all the way through that. I remember I haven't seen Village of the Dam, but I, I also enjoy Ghosts of Mars for how cheesy it is. Yeah. Something about it is just fun. Yeah, I agree. But it's and that you in know, the mouth of madness is great too. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I was when I was just looking through his uh his Instagram to find that post that I just read to you, I saw like he has a he had posted a picture of the the special effects model of the old woman who ran the the bed and breakfast when she had like the tentacles and shit with the axe when she killed her husband. It's like, man, that was, that shit was so cool. Yeah. Hobbs and whore. That, 
that was my first exposure to like Lovecraftian horror. And I had no idea about Lovecraftian horror the first time I saw that. Sure. Same. And then I was like, what is all this? And then I started digging through and seeing what people were saying and like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Super cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, and superstition was to go back to, you know, what we were to get us back on topic a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't care. We could we could segue all all day about things and it's just fun. I I really like like I said, the story and the premise of they tossed that cross into this pond, which the pond is like the big thing in this movie. The house itself, but like the pond is like where this evil is emanating from. I like the fact that the bond wasn't completely foolproof, that she was able to roam about at night and still kill and haunt and do whatever. And then once they pulled that out, as they were trying, what was it? They were draining it after that cop fell in and was, or not fell, he was pulled in by the creature and killed. Yeah. So yeah. like, we're going to drain it. And that's when they found the cross. And then the caretaker who lives in her little shack was like, uh, basically told him, well, you effed up by pulling that out. Yeah, because now she's gonna kill everybody. Yeah, you guys are the reason why this shit's gonna hit the fan now. Thanks. Yeah, and the last fifteen minutes of this movie is just kill, kill, kill. Yeah, falls (laughs) out. Yeah, I've I watched this movie twice over the last two days. I watched it yesterday, and then I watched it again today, just before, so I would remember everything about it. I'm glad you liked it that much. I will probably end up watching it watching it again sometime this year because it's going to go in the rotation of ones that I can just put on any time and yeah. just watch it. Yeah, it's definitely fun. I feel that way about a lot of 80s horror movies where you can just kind of have it on the mm-hmm. background. I'm looking forward to revisiting My Bloody Valentine in the next few days since it's almost Valentine's Day. Um, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's got to be a perennial um, Valentine's movie for me. So. <clears throat> a shame that it got so cut up as it did like so many other 80s films though yeah you know i have i have the blue uh the dvd of the director's cut um and the special the extra stuff is is okay you know obviously it's great to have it i I don't feel like i really missed anything by not having that the the hundred times i watched it on vhs but um Definitely still one of my favorite 80s movies and easily one of my favorite slashers of all time. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think when I when I say it's a shame it got cut, it's just like when you look back, you're like, this isn't really that graphic when you really look at it. It's kind of like how so many of the Friday the 13th kills were cut down. It's like, it's not really that bad, but, you know, protecting the kids and whatever. I, Whatever they want to hide behind. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering if part of the reasoning is because it was a Canadian produced film, and so maybe Canada had stricter, similar to like the video nasties in England. Um, Canada might have had a stricter censorship policy than the United States, and so they censored it before it was you know internationally released. Could have been the situation. Um, that could be. I didn't think about that. I knew it was a Canadian film, but that thought didn't even cross my mind. That could very well be what happened. Yeah. Have you, um, you know, since I introduced you to Superstition, have you ever seen Ghost Keeper? No. 
I've never heard of that one. So it's it's I think it was made before My Bloody Valentine. Maybe like I think My Bloody Valentine was 1981 and I think that Ghostkeeper was like 1980 or 1979. It's I think it's like produced or co-written or like story by um Greg or George Mahulik or whatever the name of the director of My Bloody Valentine and like Paul Zaza who did the score for My Bloody Valentine did the score for Ghostkeeper so it's like this a similar like team of people that worked on My Bloody Valentine made it okay um I don't know if it's still on I don't think it's on Amazon anymore I think it might be on Tubi um but yeah look up Ghostkeeper it's I would say it's it's almost like a it's like a Wendigo meets The Shining kind of story. Um, and huh, okay, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's it's more of a slow burn than um, than superstition, obviously, with with all the violence in that movie. But you said you liked the Changeling, so if you like the Changeling, I think you would like Ghost Keeper because it's definitely you know the Changeling is a slow movie. Um, so, if you like The Shining and The Changeling, you'd like Ghostkeeper. Yeah, that's definitely definitely kind of in my wheelhouse. Because when there's... There are so many movies that are just slow and it, it's they're a slog to get through. But something like The Changeling to me, because there's so much that they're giving you, even though it is slow, I appreciate that slow burn. When a slow burn is done right, I'm all for it. So, Ghostkeeper... I just created a list here of movies to watch that I keep on my phone and Ghostkeeper is on there now. Yeah. I have multiple lists. One was not on my phone for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got like, a whole spreadsheet of stuff I need to watch, especially from the eighties. Yeah, I need I need to do that too. I used to do it and haven't done it in a while. Um but yeah, it's 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 a really good movie. It's like uh three or a, a couple is snowmobiling. And uh, kind of like in the backwoods, you know, and they meet up with this girl who like the guy is kind of interested in, even though he's with his girlfriend. It's really kind of weird dynamic. Um, And so the three of them decide to kind of go snowmobiling, like hit the trails together. And they get to this fork in the road that one one part of the fork is chained off with a no trespassing sign. And the guy and the girl um, are interested in kind of adventuring, you know, out and seeing what's behind this this chain that's roping it off. And the girlfriend's like, ah, you know, she's not as, as as adventurous. And so they end up going and they stumble across this old inn that has been closed down and it's all like snowed in. Um, and there's like people, there's like a couple people that are there and they're harboring a dark secret and. Um, you know, there's a reason why the road was, uh, closed off. So it's, it's really cool. Like I said, it's kind of a slow burn. It's not as slow as something like burnt offerings, which is one of the most boring horror movies I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) but yeah, if you're a fan of the shining, if you're a fan of, of, um, you know, the changeling, I think you'll get a kick out of it. It's got some cool stuff in it. So check it out. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check it out. Like I said, it's, it's on a, another list that I've created now, because like I said, I've got like three of them over several different devices at this point. Cool. Yeah, and, and I always love a good horror movie that takes place like in the winter where there's snow. Something about that setting is just, it's 
it just feels right for horror. It's why I've always kind of wanted there to be like a Friday the 13th or one of those franchises just at winter time. Yeah, I agree. Um, the unfortunate thing is that shooting in the winter sucks. Um, for right. Production. So, you know, not only is it cold and uncomfortable, but your camera equipment can, can freeze and, you know, your lens can get foggy and it's just, it's really annoying. Um, but I agree. Winter, the winter dynamic is, you know, I liked it with A Chance in Hell. I think it made A Chance in Hell's exteriors really cool and ominous. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the rake we shot in March. So that has a lot of that kind of Midwest grimy kind of gray, dank atmosphere to it, which I like a lot. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I totally agree with you on on creating content that takes place at that time period as well. So, and it helps with isolation. It's a lot easier to believe that somebody is isolated when there's a lot of snow on the ground, especially in a case like ghost keeper, where I'm assuming it was also shot in Canada, like my bloody Valentine. So you, you know, you think about kind of the, the Canadian wilderness where people would be snowmobiling on trails. You're out in the middle of nowhere and you've easily got, seven or eight feet of snow on the ground, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's very easy to get secluded from, from the general populace. Yeah. And that's, it's that. And then just the visual aspect of like blood on the snow. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things, the contrast of the red and the white, Totally. but like you said, the isolation alone is one of those things. Cause it's like, okay, where, where do we go? Especially if it's like, and I know it's hard to do it because you said all the, the weather factors, but like if there's a storm and you get turned around don't know which way is which if you're out in that this is one of those things is disorientation isolation nobody being there especially in the 80s when there were no cell phones so you could just call somebody to come find you where they right. can track your gps or whatever i know yeah i totally agree totally agree so yeah i i look forward to hearing what you think once you get a chance to check that out definitely put it on your list before uh you know, and watch it before it gets too warm out. Although you're you're on you're in California, right? Yeah, so, yeah, we're in California, so it's never super yeah, cold here. Yeah, no, I mean, like right now, I'm looking out the window and there's snow on the ground, so it's it's definitely a mood appropriate film for somebody like me in my situation. So, but yeah, I I wish there was snow on the ground here. I mean, I I don't like driving in snow. I've only done it once, and I didn't realize it was snowing. I thought it was just you know, a little bit icy in the air. And then when we got to my destination, my wife goes, Hey, good driving in the snow. I was like, what, what did you say? No, I'm sorry. What fuck, was that? <laughs> fuck that. I don't, I have no desire yeah. to ever be around snow except for maybe the week before Christmas. Um, or if I'm going skiing, but, uh, other than that, I don't really, I'll take 70 degrees every day of the year. Although I do like fall. I'm, I get it. I'm a, I'm a rain guy. When it's raining out, that's when I'm at my happiest. I know yeah. some people are like, oh, it's it's cloudy and rainy. I'm depressed. I'm like, no, I love it. Yeah, I agree. I live in, I may have been born and raised in California, but I'm not a big sunshine, summertime person. Sure. Yeah. I Give me dark storm clowns and thunder every day. Oh, be yeah. Happy. That, that atmosphere helps. It's just a good environment to be creative as a horror person, you know, so I agree. Mm -hmm. um, those are the best days to take a nap with the window open, listening to the rain, you know, cool breeze coming. It's great. Love it. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I digress. I should probably get going because <laughs> um, I, I got plenty of stuff I still got to do today. Um, 
and I actually yeah, well, I, I went to the, the the pet store and I bought a fish. So I need to get the little guy into the uh, into the fish tank and out of the bag. Um, so I've been letting him acclimate for the last couple hours. I need to get him into his new home. So nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on, taking the time because I know you've been very busy with everything we talked about in the beginning. You know, conventions the re-release anniversary release of uh it's my party with the follow-up comic just the stuff with bloody disgusting and screen box i know you've got a full plate did you want to give any any places where anybody can reach you right now and then i'll also include links in the show notes for anybody who's interested especially that pre-order link for it's my party anniversary edition when that's ready yeah I- but yeah where where can they reach you online tony i mean we know there's a lot of places to get a hold of you and a lot of things that you got going on well, I, I really appreciate you inviting me on the show again and, and constantly supporting and promoting Scotchworthy Productions and everything that I'm doing. It, it means a lot to me to have fans like you out there. Without you guys, I wouldn't have a career at this point, which is almost at 20 years now, which is amazing to think back on. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I'll always I will always make time to promote our stuff with people that are enthusiastic about that. And to talk about horror, because I love horror more than anything except for maybe my family and my wife on this planet. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, people, the thing I really try and promote now is Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is Scotchworthy, which is like a bottle of scotch and worthy, like we are not worthy, all one word, Scotchworthy. Um, uh, so find me on there, follow me, please. I'm really trying to build my my Instagram following I'm only at 1,500, about 1,600 followers, but um, I'm really trying to, to work on that. Uh, people can go to scotchworthy.com and check out you know, links to our movie trailers and stuff and find out information about all of our catalog of work and can also go to the store on scotchworthy.com and buy a lot of stuff, including the pre-order for the It's My Party 15-Year Anniversary Edition DVD, which I, I highly recommend and I... I am I'm putting out the the request and the pleading to your audience to to please you know support if if you support independent horror um, this is something that that is very dear to me and and means a lot to me and and you're you're also supporting a good cause because as I said I'm going to donate some of the proceeds of each sale to cancer research in memory of of it's my party star Adrian Fisher. Um, so I, I would really appreciate it. It would mean a lot. And and it's a really awesome package that not only are you getting the DVD with the Choose Your Own Adventure and the 30-page comic book of the sequel, You Would Die Too If It Happened to You, but you're also, as a pre-order um, purchaser, you're also automatically entered in a contest to win multiple items from the, not only from the movie, actual like, props and wardrobe and stuff, including Sarah's katana sword, but uh, other things as well, like uh, first edition DVDs and things like that. So, um, and other Scotchworthy merchandise as well. So um, it's it's definitely worth the $40 pre-order price. And uh, it's basically a Kickstarter campaign without me doing a Kickstarter campaign. So please, anybody out there, mm-hmm. support us. Um, come and, and jump on board and, and be a part of that. I would sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I'm going to do my best to promote that for you guys. Get as many people I can because it's it's 40 bucks, guys. I mean, 
40 bucks isn't really a lot of money when you think about it and what you're getting and the chance to win some cool shit. Trust me, that katana alone is worth the 40 bucks for an entry if you get a chance to get it. Hell yeah. Because it's fucking badass. It's how she kills Burkett. You can put it up on display in your in your office or on your mantle or you can keep it next to your bed if you want. I don't know. Um, ward off evil spirits and robbers with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and I'll, and I'll offer the same thing to your audience. If anybody finds me on Instagram and sends me a message and says, hey, I want to pre-order the movie, but I don't want to pay tax, I'll save you a couple of bucks and give you my PayPal, and you can just send me the money that way, pay for the shipping and the movie, and uh, and then that way you don't have to pay tax. So I'll save you a couple of bucks. It's the uh, Skewered Universe discount. I'll definitely let people know that. So. If they... They go on there and they they find you on there. We'll we'll definitely honor that for them. I mean, well, you will. I say we. I I have no part of that. We're going by your word, but we I appreciate that. That's awesome because whatever I can do, and if you're going to do that, that's really cool. Thank you, Jeff. We'll I make sure we note that. that in there. We'll include all the links for all that stuff because you've got a lot of awesome stuff coming up, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting everything done. I'm looking forward to seeing where the rest of 2023 takes me. So thank you for supporting. Thank you for promoting. And uh, keep in touch with everything. All right. Of course, man. And if there's any time you have a you have an open invite, so you just say the word. We will have you on. If something big comes up that you need to promote, you say the word. We'll work it in the schedule. Awesome. Sounds good, brother. Sounds good, man. And until next time, why don't you guys just keep enjoying that universe? That's just a bit skewered. <laughs>